Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. I'm going to jump in with uh, just a, a quick question for you guys. You probably don't know this guy. Um, does anybody know who Charles Blondin was? Charles Blondin? The great Charles Blondin, you don't know him? I didn't either before this week. But anyway, so here's a picture of Charles Blondin right there. He was a turn-of-the-century French acrobat. And he was, his major claim to fame was he was a tightrope walker. And Charles, uh, very, very famously crossed Niagara Falls, uh, on a tightrope. And this was like a literal international sensation that this guy would do this, right? Just unbelievable. It was in all the newspapers and everything like, like that. And so this guy was like viral, uh, in the night, you know, in the, in the 1800s and early 1900s. And so Charles Blondin, he would cross, uh, he would cross the, the Niagara Falls, and it seemed like every year he did sort of a crazier stunt. So our next picture, you could see he um, decided to have lunch uh, above the falls with a table and a stool. Uh, this is just where he liked to take his break. You know, he'd like to do headstands and things like that. But uh, perhaps his greatest feat ever was one day uh, before he got up on the tightrope, he asked for a volunteer to climb on his back, and he was going to cross Niagara Falls. Uh, with a volunteer. How many of you guys would say, I'm in? To, like, I'll, I'll get on your back. Okay, Dan. Okay, couple people. Good. We know who the crazy people are in the church are. Uh, so, so he did this. So we've got the picture. Let me see the picture here. It's kind of tough to see, but uh, there's Charles with somebody hitched to his back, right? And so they're crossing Niagara Falls together. Now, here's the question. What would, what do you think would have happened if that, that guy that's on Charles Blondin's back, what would have happened if he would have said, you know, halfway across, hey, Charles, let me down. Put me down on, on the tightrope. I, I can get it from here. Like, what do you think Charles would have said if this guy would have said, put me down. I'm going to go the rest of the way on my own. You're good. Do whatever you got to do. I'll, I'll just take it from here. He would have, Charles would have said, you're going to die. Like, are you crazy? This is the worst idea in the world. Don't do this thing, right? What do you think the guy's wife would have said or his kids would have said if he said, I'm going to just try to go it on my own after this, right? Well, I don't think that's what happened, but we're in the book of Galatians and this type of thing is sort of Paul's response to what was happening in the Galatian church. Paul was saying to the Galatian church, um, are you guys stupid or something? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Because what was happening in the, in the early church in Galatia was that they were in trouble because a group of people called the Judaizers had infiltrated this tiny little church plant and they began to teach that, that in order to be saved, not only did you have to believe in Jesus, but in addition to that, you had to obey the law, that you had to follow all of the works of the law, and so you would not be saved unless you added the law to the gospel, to which Paul wrote to the book, to the people in Galatia, are you stupid or something? Are you crazy? This is the worst idea ever. And poor Paul, he had a mess on his hands because this is when like ministry gets to be a headache because Paul wasn't there, but the Judaizers were. And so Paul wrote this, this uh, letter called the book of Galatians to us. And he wrote it to like 
bring them back, to, to, to speak sense to them, to bring correction to them, right? And so last week, just to catch you up, if you weren't here last week, um, this is what happened. We, we opened up the book of Galatians by learning that, uh, first of all, that the, uh, uh, the, the gospel message is all about Jesus. We talked about how, um, when we talk about the gospel, very often we talk about what God has done for us, right? But what we see in, in, uh, in scripture is that the gospel always points to Jesus. And so whenever we think about the gospel, what I want, what I want to stir up in you and what I want to challenge us to do is to put Christ on the pedestal, to put Christ as the, as the star of the show because his life is really the story of the gospel. And so when we talk about the gospel, I want us to speak about the life of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And then we can share about what he did for us, right? And so, so that's kind of what we talked about last week and about not adding the law to uh, to following Jesus. And so this week, what we're going to see is that Paul is making a case. He's trying to tear down this line of thinking for the people in Galatia. And so he uh, begins chapter three by saying this. Listen to this, guys. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ, Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if it had been seen in a picture uh, of his death on a cross. In other words, he almost, some, th- some scholars think that he might have actually drawn a cross in this letter to them, okay? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit Because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. Now, the guy that started um, the Vineyard Churches, there's like a whole bunch of us. Do you know uh, the name of the guy that, that kind of really put Vineyard on the map? John Wimber, right? John Wimber. And so John wrote a book a long time ago. He, he's dead now. But he wrote a book, uh, you know, 30 years ago. And the title of the book was called The Way In is the way on. The way in is the way on. And and really this book echoes Paul's declaration that the way that we all got started in our relationship with God, which is by faith, that that is actually the only way to keep it going. That how we got in, we didn't get in by our works, right? We only got in by putting our trust and our hope in Jesus, And what Paul is saying and what Wimber would say to us is that the way that you got in is the only possible way to live out this Christian life. And I actually believe that this is actually a prophetic word for our generation today. I believe that this is for us as well. That what got the church going is the only thing that will keep us growing. And our church models and our strategies and our expertise, all those tools, those might be helpful, but they 
can never ever be what animates the life of the church. Only God, through his Holy Spirit, can do that. And so Paul, he gives two reasons, really, why it would be stupid to adopt the law. He's, he's really harsh, so I'm just calling him like, like Paul does, right? He gives two reasons why it would be just absolutely dumb to adopt the law to try to make ourselves righteous. We're going to focus on Paul's number one reason, his first one. And the first reason that Paul says that they should abandon the works of the flesh or obedience to the law, quite frankly, is the, is the Holy Spirit. Paul says it's all about the Holy Spirit. And his argument was this. Do you remember your... Listen, this is important. Paul says, do you remember your favorite part of church? Do you remember what made everything so amazing? It was the Holy Spirit. And he said, how did you get to experience the Holy Spirit? Was it by observing the law? Or was it by believing? And that brings us to Thrive for just a second. Molly's been talking about it already. Um, we have these flames, these Thrive flames. We feel like we're called to be a people that are on fire for Jesus. Does anybody know what our second Thrive flame is? You can peek if you have to. Go ahead and take a peek. What is it? Activate. Okay, so activate. Our activate flame. You know what that's about? The Holy Spirit. Our activate flame is about the Holy Spirit. We are a people who are empowered by, filled with the Holy Spirit. We walk in the Spirit-filled life. And so we, we see the gifts of the Spirit poured out in this place. We are led and directed by the person, the Holy Spirit. We listen for the Spirit. The Spirit is kind of the conduit of God's presence to us, right? And so we are a Holy Spirit people, and we press into that. And what we're going to see is this. Paul gave a design for the church, uh, and the design was such that we were birthed by faith in Jesus, and and the, that early church in Galatia, they were birthed by faith in Jesus, and because of their faith in Jesus, they welcomed the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's argument sort of, he kind of asks this question, and it's this, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you see miracles happen? Was it by observing the law? And he would say, no way. You saw the Holy Spirit work at work because of your faith in God and because of the things that God spoke over your lives. And he was saying this, everything that you enjoyed about church when it began was all about the Holy Spirit. Everything that you loved about this new thing that God had birthed, it was all because of the Holy Spirit. What made church so amazing and wonderful? It was the presence of God at work that made people fall in love with him, right? So let's just look at what was what was it like in the early church, right? What was life like? What was their experience in church? Well, our best description of it is in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 or 43. We're going to start in 43. But just listen to this and try to like... Immerse yourself in this for a second. Uh, the, the writer Luke says this, a deep sense of awe, this is just a description of the church, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. Um, they met in their homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
And so this is a description of the early church as the Holy Spirit had been poured out. This was right after Pentecost, right? And even as we read this, you can get a sense that what, what was happening, it wasn't the result of hard work. It wasn't the result of really, really nice people. It wasn't the result of people having been trained in the latest strategies about how to do church or how to get along with each other. And it certainly wasn't born by having an awesome set of rules to follow about how we think and about how we behave towards one another. The report of the early church describes a sense of awe and wonder at what they were experiencing. It describes signs and wonders that were being done, things that could only be explained by the power of God released into that church. Do you guys see that with me? Right? And so very likely, guys, people were being radically healed. Demons were being cast out of people. People that had been a complete mess in their life and heading in the wrong direction suddenly had their lives restored. They found themselves healed. They found themselves experiencing freedom and newness of life. And it says that the church experienced incredible joy and generosity and that people were flocking, flocking to faith. And it was obvious to all that God was at work because only God could do this. And that's actually what it looked like in the church of Galatia. The same thing was happening in Galatia. In chapter 3, verse 2, Paul said this. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses. Okay, so they had the Holy Spirit. They were a spirit-filled church. In verse 5, he said, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. And so we hear that the Spirit was pouring out miracles in the church in Galatia, as it seems to always do when there's faith and room for it. And so the fellowship, the love for one another, the powerful teaching, the incredible response to the gospel, all of that came through the person of the Holy Spirit. That was the catalyst, right? But now they were saying the flesh will get us to where we want to go. Our future is in our foreskins. <laughs> that's what the, I just wanted to write that and, and share that with you. But that's what it was, right? It was all about, our, nobody laughed at that. I thought I was going to get a response. <laughs> They're just, you're just too uncomfortable, right? <laughs> like, how dare he say that? This was true, though. This is exactly what they were saying. It was about circumcision. They were saying that if we obey the works of the law, God will make us righteous or we will become righteous ourselves, right? And so they thought that all of that stuff would come by their action, by their own action. And I believe, church, that we do the same thing. I honestly think that we do the same thing. Now think about this. Sometimes like in, in church at a conference or, you know, have you ever prayed for somebody and they got healed? Uh, you know, we go through a season where it feels like God's presence is just really, really being poured out. He does something really, really powerful. And so what do we try to do with that? We try to replicate it. Right? Like if you're praying for somebody and they get healed and it's like, wow, I can't believe it. I prayed for that person. They got healed. And so the next time that we pray for a person, what do we start doing? We say, okay, so when I prayed for them, how were they standing? I think I, I think they had their hands out. So the next time I pray, I'm going to make sure that they have their hands out. And I think that when we were praying for that person, um, I put my hand on their right shoulder. So the right, I'm going to make sure I get the hand on the right shoulder. And when I prayed for them to be healed, I didn't ask God, for, for, you know, for God to heal them. I commanded the flesh to be healed. And so I always have to command the flesh to be healed. And what we're doing, you guys, is that suddenly a free and a fresh move of God becomes an event that we try to repeat through the laboratory of human effort. 
And we do that all the time. No spirit needed, right? Do you guys see how crazy this thinking is? That's why Paul called them bewitched. He said, someone has cast a spell over you guys. That was the only thing that Paul could, could think that would make sense to why they were doing what they were doing. And that brings us back to church. It brings us to thrive. It brings us to us. This should always bring us back home. And I want to ask the question, how are we going to live? How are we going to live around here, right? Because we have a choice as well. We can live by the flesh or we can live by the spirit. And before we kind of judge the Galatians too harshly, just listen, hear me out on this, okay? Think about what it might look like for our church to live by works and not by faith. We could, here's what I want to say. We could do church uh, pr- and do it pretty much 100% in the flesh, do it pretty much 100% by human effort, and it would actually look pretty good. We could do this church without the Holy Spirit, and we could do it in a way that would actually be pretty nice. Like here at Thrive, we do our church service every Sunday, and we sing our songs for 20 or 30 minutes, and we could make sure that our team is really, really well-polished, that they've practiced. We could make sure the tech is on point. And you know what? They pick a good set list, and we would like it. It would actually be pretty good. People would come here and say, that was really good. I enjoyed that. I was a a school teacher in my past life. I have a degree in public speaking, believe it or not. And so I could give an uplifting message. I could give you guys a TED Talk every week if you wanted to, if I wanted to. And it could be culturally relevant and it could be helpful and applicable. And people would come and go, that's... It's actually pretty good. I kind of like that. We could do Sunday school for our kids. We could serve the poor in our community. We could have dynamic leaders leading our thrive groups. We could go outside when the weather's nice. We could even pray for each other if God tells us to. And literally, all of that can be done, every bit of it, without the presence of God. And we could do it well enough that nobody would even know that we were missing God, that God was not in the room. And you know what's great about that stuff? It's risk-free. It's controllable. It's not messy. It's orderly. It's predictable. It's not confusing or embarrassing. And we could plan failure and practice failure right out of the equation. We could do that. And the great news is that no faith is needed. We could do that right now. I mean, I've almost talked myself into it. Who's with me? (laughs) But what's the cost? What is the cost if we take the baton on our own? What would it cost us if we did that? Well, first of all, we could never say that we're a people of God's presence again. That we, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to say that. And of course, we would li- lose the living voice of God in our lives. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, but we wouldn't know his voice. And as loving as God is, as dynamic as God is, as present as God is, he would be confined to the pages of scripture. He'd have to stay in there. We'd have to give up on miracles. We'd have to give up on a lot of our freedom. The only breakthroughs that we would ever experience are those that came from self-discipline, that came through elbow grease. Not that that stuff was working super well before, but whatever. Um, Of course, the ceiling of our fellowship and our unity and our friendship around here would be great greatly diminished because we'd be bringing our junk in and it'd be splashing all over each other and there wouldn't be any additional power for healing. There wouldn't be an additional grace. There wouldn't be anything that would bring us together supernaturally. Forgiveness would be tough to do. We'd be on our own there, right? And of course, um, evangelism would be nothing more than sales. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all it is. But we could do that. We could do that. But what if... What if God were in charge here? What if we really believed that 
God was in the room, that he was present with us. Because the Bible does say, does it not, that where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. You know that God is with us. What would it mean for us as a church? Well, first of all, it would mean this. It would mean that God himself determines and decides who Thrive is. God decides why we exist. And so as a church, we could know that we are exactly where we're supposed to be, that we're doing exactly what we're called to be because the Lord has spoken it to us. And we've decided that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we could know that in our hearts. If we really were a people of God, it would mean that in all of our gatherings, our Sunday mornings, our outreaches, our thrive groups, that in all of those venues, that we actually tune in, that we open up our hearts, we open up our eyes, we open up our ears and our spirits to the presence of God, and we ask God, what are you doing? Because we know that he's present, right? That we're listening to the, to the Holy Spirit. We're saying, God, what are you up to? And so when we plan our events, we hold our plans lightly because we're always making space for God to guide. We're always making space for God to, to redirect us. I want to talk about our worship for a minute, but first I need to do this. This message is sponsored by Duncan. Um, so let's talk about worship. First of all, I want to say to our worship team today, like Sarah, you know, I, <laughs> I walked in and clearly stuff was up. I was usually I like try to engage the worship team. I'm like, nope, back off. Just leave them alone. Let them do their thing. So our worship to do worship around here, there is so much complexity around that. There are so many moving pieces. They're dealing with team. They're dealing with equipment. They're dealing with tech back there with these guys. It is not an easy thing to put together the worship that we experience. And I, I want to honor our team. You guys did good. But here's, here's why, um, here's why worship looks a little different in this church than it might in the churches that you've attended in the past, okay? Um, at churches that I've attended, I grew up Catholic, and as a Catholic, we sang songs, and we sang chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, next song, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, next song, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, next song, and then it was over. That's kind of how we did it. And uh, you may have been a part of a church like that as well. But our worship teams, our worship leaders and our teams, they're asked to lead a high-quality worship set from the choice of their set list, their instrumentation, their vocals, the technical stuff that, that Terry and Andrew and the guys do back there. But at the same time, we've also asked them to listen to God in the moment. We've asked them to be sensitive to what God is doing. And so we value the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so right in the midst of worship, we've asked our teams to just be listening. Do you want us to, to sit on a, a song for a little while? So sometimes you might notice that as they're playing a song, instead of like doing verse, 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 you know, that type of thing, they go back to a verse and we park on it and we sit with it for a while. And the reason we do that is because we just feel God is on that and we feel the Holy Spirit moving in that. And so we wait and we do that for a while because we're discerning God in it. Here's another thing that you might notice that, uh, that we do. And that is that occasionally, um, the, 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 the worship team will be doing a song and they're singing the lyrics, but then suddenly kind of in the middle of the song, they're continuing to play, but they stop singing the words. And I just kind of wonder like, are they tired? 
You know, like, do they, are they just sick of singing those words? Like, what are they doing up there, right? Well, here's what's going on, church. The reason why they do that is because, again, worship is ultimately about experiencing God's presence and offering him our worship. And so what they do when they step back and they allow you to sing is this. They're giving you an opportunity to express what is in your heart to God. Because while worship is corporate, it is ultimately personal. And so when we worship, when they step back from the mic and they just sort of let the the space open up, what they're inviting you to do is they're inviting you to offer to God what is only in your heart. And they're giving you a framework with the music and and the, the chords and the keys, but they're giving you the opportunity to express something to God that only you can do, right? And so that's why we do that type of a thing. And so God, sometimes he'll put a song uh, uh, on our heart when the, when the team, you know, gets here or halfway through a worship set, and they'll go with it. Or Molly will come up. Typically, it's Molly. Molly's always messing everything up up there. But we'll come up, and she'll say, do you know this song? Can you play this song? And they'll try to throw it together. And so what that means, church, is this. Sometimes when we do that, it can make for an incredibly powerful moment because the Holy Spirit is being poured out, because we're experiencing God's presence. But it also means that we're a little bit messier, that we're not quite as polished, but that's a trade-off, church, that we are willing to make. And I want to say this as well, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is equally in our preparation. The Spirit is equally in our preparation. And so the Spirit fills when they plan that set list. The Spirit fills when they practice their songs in the same way that the Spirit fills when I work on my sermon. And the Spirit fills in the impromptu stuff. And so we're we're just opening ourselves up to do both of those things. Let me ask the question again. What does it mean for Thrive to live by faith in the Spirit of God? It means that when we pray for one another, we actually believe that God is present and that he's ready to heal and restore literally anything. And so we pray these huge, bold, biblical prayers, and we look for God's activity because we know that our God is a miraculous God. We know that our God is a life-changing God. We know that he loves us, and he wants to turn our lives upside down for him and in his kingdom. And so we pray according to the greatness of God, and we pray according to the love of God, and we don't hedge our bets around here. We don't do that. And sometimes that means that our prayers are obviously not getting answered, but we're going to pray that way. And sometimes when we pray, especially our our team of prayers up here, if you've ever gotten prayer by somebody up here in the front, um, you may notice that they pray a tiny bit differently. Uh, They might not just launch right into prayer. Sometimes what we encourage our prayer people to do is we just, before, you know, if you come up and say, hey, uh, I got a a, a bum hip or my relationship with so-and-so is messed up, they may not launch right into praying for you right there, but what they might do is they might pause for a second, and they might just ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray for this person? And so instead of just launching right into prayer, they might kind of ask for direction, and it might be that you just, that the Lord wants to release healing in that moment. Instead uh, of that, maybe the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to do some spiritual warfare, and so we're going to pray that the enemy is bound and cast out. They might just be led to prayer, pray encouragement, or, or 
just some sort of a challenge. But we don't know what the Lord's going to do, but we take time to ask because God speaks, right? As prayers, we look for direction from the Lord before we pray, and we expect his presence. When we wrap up our time in uh, uh, in the, the sermon time, we don't just release you guys for snacks, do we? We always just pause for a moment, and we welcome, we just ask God, okay, God, what do you want to do with this? And so Molly, or myself, or whoever it is, we might just say, okay, God, how do you want, like, what are you doing in the room right now? And so we might be thinking that, you know, God is wanting to just bring encouragement to you, or maybe he highlights something that's going on in your hearts, and we, so we speak to that, or again, he, we might be sensing like God is calling us to repentance, you know, I don't know what he'll do, but we make space for it, right? We make space for it because we value the presence of God, and I want to just say again, we could do this by works, or we can do it by faith in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. We get to choose. And how we do all this stuff, because I know that for some of you guys, it might feel a little foofy, it might feel a little ethereal, it might even feel a little bit scary, but I want you to know that whenever we speak for God, whenever we are discerning God, the way that we do that, we always do that with a high level of open-handedness, uh, we do it with a high level of integrity, we make sure that what we do is in line with the scripture, and so if we're speaking for God ever, it's up to you to test it. It's up to you to kind of go, does this feel right? Does this feel biblical? Because our practices matter. But at the end of the day, we know that we are a people of the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God. And if that costs us something, then it costs us something. If it, it gets messy at times or not as polished as other churches, so be it because it's worth it to us. If it means that we have to take some risks that feel scary to us, so be it. It's worth it. If it means that we can't say, I did this. This is up. This is what I've done. We can't pat ourselves on the back. So be it. It is worth it because we would rather live by faith and experience what God has for us than experience the best of what we can throw together as a group of people right? And experience the best of our own efforts because God is, has, and will do things in this church that we could never, ever do on our own. Do you believe me on that? Do you believe me? Are you with us on this? We want God in this place. And we're not willing to give it up. And so we're going to keep leaning into it. We're going to keep welcoming. We'll be as messy as we have to be. And so my question is, is how, and by the way, I'm wrapping up. How does this hit you? It's like good and important for you to kind of go, oh, I don't know. Like as an ex-Catholic, I got to tell you, some of this stuff, it, it, it's hard. Sometimes I have to lean into this. And I, I would encourage you to talk to the Lord. That's worth exploring with him, right? How, how does what I say hit you guys? But I want to tell you um, that this is the way that church is going to be uh, because this is who God has called us to be, right? And so we might have to deal with our own preferences. And that's the thing. So often, what, what stops God in our hearts and what stops God in the room, it's our preferences. We prefer that God not do that or that God do it some other way or it makes it look that way. And so I want us to deal with that because we're going to try to prefer God. I want us to be able to say we are the church that God dreamt of. Fully. 
Okay? And so Paul says to the Galatians, you know how you began. You began by faith in the Spirit of God. You know that what you loved about church in the beginning was everything that God was doing. It was beautiful, and it was powerful, and it was miraculous, and it was life-changing. And so Paul said to the Galatians, what I'm saying to you right now, do you want to make this about obeying a bunch of stuff, or do you want to make this about experiencing God's presence? Will our best efforts bring freedom and newness of life? And if they won't, then it's time for us to turn back to the Spirit of God and say, welcome. And so we say to Jesus, this place is yours. I am yours. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen? Why don't we stand up? Seems, um, seems appropriate. Uh, the worship set was exactly kind of like as I was just marveling at uh, what God was doing in worship and how it related to what I felt the Lord was leading for our teaching time and for what the Lord is doing um, just in ministry right now. But uh, here's what I think the Lord would like to do is we're going to spend uh, a few minutes just being with God being with the Holy Spirit. We're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us, to each one of us. Um, when we say, come Holy Spirit, it's a refrain, but it's, a, it's not a refrain that means nothing. It's actually a prayer. It's an invitation. It's an expectation that God is present through his Holy Spirit in the room right now. And so if that's true, we believe it's true, then he can minister to you right now. He can touch your heart right now. And so I would just encourage you to adopt a posture where you are most able to um, hear God, feel God, receive, receive from him. And I'm just going to... I'm just going to lead us in um, just some some ministry. I'm going to give God the opportunity to, to touch your heart, to touch your life. And so, um, Spirit of God, first of all, if there is anything in me, if there is anything in any one of us that has um, grieved you, that has locked a door that has made you unwelcome. If we have come into church on a regular basis with preferences that have kept you out, kept you at bay, kept you silent, and really kept us from receiving all the amazing things that you have for us, Lord, we just ask for forgiveness. We repent of that. just we just say um, Lord our hearts are yours Holy Spirit we're, we're just kind of proclaiming in this moment that that our life is yours and we give it back to you again today we just say Holy Spirit would you come come into our hearts right now come into our spirits right now come even into our bodies right now come Holy Spirit and fill this place. God's heart is so full of love for you. And he's he's just speaking his love over your heart right now. 
you speaking words of belonging. You belong to me. You're mine. Precious son, precious daughter of mine. He's speaking um, freedom. I hear just that, just freedom. From where we've tried to earn or do, just in new ways, just freedom. A returning back. Resting in his filling, resting in his spirit. So some of you just need to receive that freedom. Yeah.